Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 19th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Water charges have always been part of Fine Gael policy. Water charges were introduced by the Labour Party when they were in coalition with Fine Gael. Water charges resulted in huge opposition from the public and became the most contentious issue faced by the last government. Fianna Fáil then said it would solve the problem and reached a solution, or what it said was a solution, with Fine Gael. Fianna Fáil said it had taken water charges off the table and that they would not be introduced. Others disagreed and there was concern that water charges would indeed be introduced but only for a small few and a low rate to begin and that this would be the beginning of the introduction of water charges for everybody in the future. This week we are told 80,000 households could be charged €500 Euro a year for water. Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Labour do not have anyone available to debate this this morning with Paul Murphy, Solidarity TD for Dublin South West who's on the line. Good morning to you Paul Murphy and thanks for taking the time to be with us uh, this morning. Uh, you were elected five years ago uh, in a by-election because of your stance on water charges if I remember correctly and We've talked about this many times over the last five years. Indeed, we spoke about it many times with your predecessor, Joe Higgins, uh, before you took office uh, in the Dáil. And I don't know how many times over those years uh, we've looked to debate this, uh, but members of the mainstream political parties weren't available for one reason or another. What's going on today, anyway? Good morning, Michael. Um, Always happy to come on. I mean, this is basically... I mean, we, we spoke about effectively the same thing, I think, maybe a month and a half ago when Irish Water's proposal for their form of excessive usage charges was published. Um, That was published because it went onto the website of the Commission, so-called CRU, and what happened two days ago was that the CRU endorsed that plan in its entirety. So they agreed with every single proposal that Irish Water made, and so we're now one step closer to these introduction of so-called excessive usage charges, um, which will kick in when a family would use, I think it's 211,000 
litres of uh, water and then would be charged effectively 370 per thousand litres above that. They're charged 185 for it coming in, but then it's assumed that the same amount is going out and they're charged 185 again. So it's effectively 370 per thousand litres. Right, which is, which is, is very, very confusing. Uh, I, I think it uh, might be easier for people listening to understand that the allowance is 146 litres a day and that on average people use 133 litres a day. Yeah. I mean, basically what they've worked out the allowance at is they look at average usage and then they of, of, of a household and they multiply it by 1.7 and they say that's, that's what a household of up to four people is allowed to use. If you have more than four people, you're allowed to use, you get an extra allowance per person. Um, I think, obviously, people know at this stage and probably have opinions on it either way, um, but I, I think it's really clear that this is about establishing a backdoor for the reintroduction of water charges. This is not about conservation. Um, some of the things that, in my opinion, go to you know, prove that is that of all the suggestions made by the Oireachtas Committee on the Future Funding of Water Services, um, the only one that they are interested in is this one about excessive usage charges, which was hashed out between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They weren't interested in having implemented any of the recommendations which would actually have an impact on water conservation in terms of education programs, in terms of the developing of a scheme about water conservation similar to the BER uh, scheme in terms of grants for uh, putting in greywater harvesting, rainwater harvesting, uh, etc. They're not interested in water conservation. Instead, they are interested in establishing the outlines of a charging regime, even though it's going to cost them more money then it, it will raise them for them initially, but that's because it's about establishing it, and then over time, if, if they got away with it, mm. how it would turn into full water charges over time is that in five years' time, the minister will be able to, at a stroke of a pen, reduce the ratio that counts as of excessive usage from 1.7 to whatever. Mm. He can't increase it, so he can't give people any more water allowances, but he can reduce it as much as he mm. wants, so he can reduce it to 1.5, 1.3, 1. 50% and then say people are paying for 50% of their, their water. Mm. And then the other way is that the price um, can go up uh, over time uh, again, which is the other way people would find themselves. Well, if he, if he reduce it by, let's say, 13 litres a day, you'd be close to having to pay uh, and pay every day. And undoubtedly that would add up over a period of time. Uh, but uh, the minister in five years from now might say, well, look, sure, that's only one flush of a toilet. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, something we have to bear in mind, this is a point you made in the introduction, is that Fine Gael don't pretend that they're not for water charges. They're for water charges. We know that they're actually for full water charges. That's what they stand for, and that's their right to, mm. to stand for it and to argue for it. Um, but we have to take that knowledge into account whenever it comes to assessing anything that looks like water charges um, and to see if it can be a route back to uh, water charges. Um, we also have to take into account that we know that the European Commission favours water charges. Indeed, they favour water privatisation in, in an open way, whereas all the establishment parties here say, no, 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 we never consider water privatisation. Um, the other thing that I think is, is important, um, and I was debating with Fergus O'Dowd, was I think listeners of, of yours would be a, a constituents of him. Television he, last night, yeah, or the night yeah, before. He, yeah, he, yeah. he was trying to claim that the allowance is equivalent to eight, uh, an eight-person 
household and so it's very difficult for people to, to go over it and I, I was making the point that his, his figures are like completely wrong and in fact it'll be very easy for a four person household mm. to go over the limit it will not require a huge amount of extra usage or a leak for a four person household well, it'll be all the easier for a single person to go over the limit uh, and there's a lot of people who live on their own uh, and a lot of pensioners let's say who live on their own and uh, I suppose a, a washing machine is a, a good example of that uh, because uh, if you're pooling uh, the clothes uh, that you're washing uh, well you might need to put it on once uh, instead of twice for two people uh, but you'll still need to put it on once for one person uh, and that uses 55 litres if on average we're using 133 litres a, a day and the allowance is 146 litres you very quickly go above the 146 litres if you put on an extra wash Well that would be true if a one-person household gets a lower allowance than a four-person household, but it's actually part of the inequity in it, right? Mm. That households from one people, one person to four people all get the same amount. You get the same allowance because it's worked out on the basis of the average household. Mm. So if a one-person household doesn't have a leak, it will be in reality very, very difficult for them to go over the limit. But the flip side of that is that a four-person household and is plenty of them these days, obviously, with, you know, loads of adult children stuck at home um, using lots of water because of the housing crisis, um, they, they will find it very, very easy to go over because they all share basically the same allowance, which is just one of, of many inequities inside the system. And that was supposedly the model for designing was meant to avoid inequity. I mean, the, the biggest inequity of all is the fact that 40% of households don't have meters and I mean, no matter what they say, it is just not possible for them to have a charging regime and a monitoring regime and a billing regime for houses that don't have meters. It's not possible, which means but this 40% is, of the population won't really be faced with these charges and the other, thing, the other 60% could mm, be faced with them. But, but possibly the conversation we are having is by design. Perhaps this is uh, the conversation that those who want to introduce water charges want people to be having uh, because we're arguing about who will pay more, uh, who is it fair on, who is it unfair on, rather than the principle of paying for water and if we are already paying for it. Uh, and if it is to be funded through general taxation, which I think has always been your perspective, well then, is there enough being paid in taxes in order to deliver good water quality to people in their homes? And in a number of years from here, we could be suggesting, well, it's unfair on the people who have meters, so let's introduce meters for everybody. And we are on a path now to deciding which way to introduce water charges. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and that's, and that's how the thin edge of the wedge works, or it's also known as like a salami tactic, whereby they slice off a section of people, establish the principle, and then go on. And, and you can imagine people saying, ah, but sure, who, who is a problem with real water wasters being forced to, to pay for, for their water? I, I know I'm not going to be wasting a whole lot of water. I rightly conserve and so on. Um, but it's exactly about that. Once they establish the principle that anyone is paying for water, particularly on like a commodified per litre basis with a price set for water, well then they're a big step of the way towards getting full water charges in. And the thing that will also follow from, from that is the um, is, is water is privatisation of our water. Um, and, you know, we, we should remember the bin charges. I think it's a very strong example. I think it's a reason, actually, that there was so much opposition 
to water charges the last time they tried it because people remembered that it came in at a low rate, it came in with quite a lot of waivers for people who couldn't afford, afford to pay with water bin charges, and it came in with the suggestion that, don't worry, there's no way there'll be privatisation. And all of those things happened, and people can see the, the very negative mm. consequences as a result of that. Yeah, there has been little uh, comment uh, in relation to this announcement, which was made outside of normal doll business uh, because uh, TDs are on their holidays, the doll is in recess uh, and so on. I know that uh, you did discuss this with Fergus O'Dowd, but uh, I think Fergus O'Dowd might have been a little bit surprised uh, for it to have been brought up and would have thought that he was on uh, the Tonight programme to discuss uh, the FAI. Are you cynical at all? Uh, We were speaking to Joan Collins about this yesterday and she was saying she was very cynical that this was announced outside of the doll term. It's extremely cynical. The timing is just unbelievable, you know. It's um, a few days ago, after resisting Joan Collins' bill for uh, a referendum to go in the Constitution to prevent the privatisation of our water, then they announced, oh, we're, we're going to look into it and hopefully we'll be ready for early next year. So they're kind of buttering people up and suggesting that they might do it. I, I'm very sceptical as to whether they will ever bring such uh, a referendum forward, but let's, let's see. So that happened a number of days ago. Then, that was, early, that was late last week. Then, a day before the announcement of the charges, sorry, in the morning mm. of the announcement of the charges, Irish Water released an opinion poll that they commissioned with public money, whereby people said that they do waste mm. water. Mm. And so that story then is, oh, there's a lot of water wastage mm. by, by people. When actually, to be honest, there's an element of the fact that people acknowledge that they do waste water is a sign that there is some awareness and consciousness mm. about the fact that people mm. shouldn't be wasting water, mm. etc. And the figures don't indicate that Irish people are big water wasters. We use a lot mm. less people than are other equivalent countries. What they're and using. then later on that same day... The very same the water day. Charges. The, 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 the survey from Irish Water on how people admit to wasting water was published on the morning yep. that the regulator agreed to introduce water charges. I know, it's quite something. I mean, and that's, I mean, most times the establishment parties are defeated. The conclusion that they draw is we had a problem with our messaging. The problem is never the policy. The problem is always the messaging. And I think this is part of a more slick, more skilled presentation of an argumentation for water charges. Um, I think what they're going to do is to take on board a very progressive sentiment reflected in the green wave of you know much higher consciousness and awareness about the climate crisis and the ecological crisis the crises that we're facing um, and so they're going to wrap it up even more in the notion of of conservation and that's how they're going to try mm. and and get it in i think that that's definitely what we're, we're seeing and i also agree it's the timing of it when the doll is not sitting it's extremely um, cynical yeah, on a, a summer's morning when uh, people are, are trying to dry themselves off going into work, which is not uh, the first time this summer. It's a particularly wet country and we have more water than we could ever possibly use falling out of the sky all of the time. We do. Um, it, it is also true that we can't just you know drink or use the water that just falls out of the sky. Mm. It is expensive um, to have water infrastructure to clean it, to get mm. it into our homes mm. and to take it away um, safely and not to mean that our seas are, are polluted as is currently uh, taking place. Um, but all of that, I mean, you know, every single time we have any sort of crisis in our water, be it caused through um, too much sun or too much rain or too mm. much snow, 
every single time the argument is wheeled out, well, sure, if only we had water charges, we'd have the infrastructure that we need. And that's just not true. I mean, we we have a crisis in our infrastructure. We're losing 43% of our water mm. through leaks in the in the main system. But Irish Water is investing currently the amount that they intended to invest if there was going to be water charges. Mm. There's no less investment. The point is, the, the investment yeah. that they envisaged was and is inadequate. Increased investment is uh, needed. But that doesn't have to come from water charges. It has to come from somewhere. And we think it's a question of who, who pays for it. Do ordinary people pay for it through mm. a regressive water charge or is it paid for through progressive taxation on high incomes, on wealth, yeah. on incorporation uh, And it's that cost of treating it uh, and making it uh, fit for purpose and safe for use and all of that uh, which makes the case to some degree for charging for excessive usage because it is ordinary people who end up paying because more of their taxes are used on treating the water. Uh, but if you're going to introduce water charges, uh, it needs to be an honest debate. But I, again, I think that's like, I mean, if, if you think back to the water charges struggle in 2014, they, they changed actually the model of water charge they were introducing at the very start. If you remember, they mm. were going for a kind of metered mm. per thousand litre usage with the same price, as far as I recall, that they're currently going for. And then they came under massive pressure and they switched to a flat race model to get it started mm. and then would, would come back to the idea of uh, a charge per, per thousand litres. And, and so they've always proved willing to alter the form in which they're trying to introduce water charges yeah. uh, because they did always understand that it's about establishing it. Just well, getting a foot in the door is all they need to achieve at this stage. I think they, they have to take a long run at this one. Well, and that's the thing, and I think that's uh, where the water charges argument has been won, and that they are being introduced initially for 80,000, which means most people won't even be aware of them. Uh, eventually, that'll increase to a hundred or 200,000 households. Then it'll go to half a million households. Before you know it, it'll be a million households. And before you know it, everybody in the country, 1.6 million households will be paying water charges. Yeah, I think that that's if they get away with this. Um, I, I don't think they will get away with this. I think that um, people are quite aware on this issue. Mm. Uh, obviously, establishment political parties, in particular the Labour Party, paid a huge political price for going for water charges in the past. It, it's not an accident that... I mean, we... We were meant to be, right now, beginning to have the first excessive usage charges. That was the original plan of the government. And it's not an accident that it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And now they're saying that the first bills won't begin to land until January 2021 at the earliest. Mm. Um, because they were delaying them to try and get them beyond the local and European elections. But now it's clear that there'll likely be a general election, I'd say, in spring of, of next year. And I just think it's... Politically, it's going to prove to be very, very difficult. Mm, for them we'll see. I'm not so sure, but we'll see. But we we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Solidarity TD for Dublin South West, Paul Murphy. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you've ever bought tickets uh, for a show on the internet, it's quite possible that you bought the tickets through via GoGo. If you bought the tickets through via GoGo, it's quite possible that you got your tickets, went to the show, and we're very happy that you did so. If you didn't, uh, well, you're probably like thousands of others who were very unhappy and have made complaints about via GoGo, and they have uh, been uh, the subject of many complaints by many complainants. One of them is 
if you're a listener to this programme, you'll probably know, is me and how I was very unhappy with how I bought tickets from Viagogo and uh, felt that my contract had been breached because Viagogo had actually sent me what the concert venue described as invalid tickets. Now, I got an apology and a full refund from Viagogo, but that might be because I speak on the radio every morning and I use the radio programme to highlight it and I also use the influence I had to bring about some attention to the situation I found myself in and in fact there was ministerial intervention which resulted in Viagogo giving me a refund and indeed an apology. Viagogo though got a bit of a, a blow yesterday. Dermot Jewell, policy and council advisor with uh, the Consumers Association of Ireland is on the line and a very good morning to you Dermot and thanks for joining us and I say Viagogo got a, a bit of a, a blow in terms of how it does its business because a lot of people would like I did go on the internet looking for tickets for a particular concert and the first place they would have found them on the internet would be through Viagogo which looks to all intents and purposes to be a legitimate site and they'd have bought the tickets and then found that they were unhappy with the cost or the tickets themselves or the name on the tickets or there were so many different problems with this site but now it seems as though Google has taken action and they've suspended Viagogo from paid for global search results and this will result in a, a very different result for people who are searching for tickets on the internet. Good morning, Michael. Yes, you're right. Um, I mean, there's not a thing that you have outlined there that is not felt by consumers right across the EU. Um, and there's been a lot of action in, in recent years. And it's very interesting to see the action that, that as you say, that Google took yesterday because it's, it's, they've been slow to react in, in, in Ireland. Um, whereas it's not, well, it's been difficult. It's Dealing with Viagogo and, and challenging them is a big deal. The main reason being is that whilst they have an office here in, in, in Limerick, um, where they employ, well, at 2018 they were employing 125 people, but basically the, org- the structure and the organisation is Swiss. It's based in mm. Switzerland, so taking action is very, very, very difficult. Mm. It's very costly and it's a problem. And so over the years... Um, a lot of countries and particularly their consumer protection bodies and consumer associations have looked at their internal laws and to explain to, to listeners what they've looked at was how the, the site was operating in the context of what was its national law mm. and for example in Denmark in 2018 um, they, they took Viagogo to task in, in, in Denmark um, because they breached Danish law, um, and they, they, the same thing happened. Google applied um, a breach of um, a suspension to them, which which lasted and, and continued on. Mm. If you bring that right up to date to Ireland, um, we don't yet have that facility to say, look, you're breaching the law. But what Google have looked at is what was looked at most recently in the UK and said, look, mm. you're, you're breaching the, 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 the contract details with us. And the reason we think you're breaching your contract details is based on two, two issues that have been replicated right across the EU. One, the prices don't include booking fees, VAT, delivery costs, and a whole load mm. of other issues. And two, the details of what happens and goes wrong, just as you mentioned, Michael, mm. in the sense that when, when, if, if 
um, as, as happened with Ed Sheeran, as, as what happened with FIFA, where the artist or the body places a ban on any ticket that was resold. Um, the person appearing at the venue has a problem and they've got to go back and try to deal with via Gogo to get a refund, which can take a lifetime of effort. Mm. Um, as, again, as you highlighted. But bringing it back here in Ireland, they, they've looked at that one and they also said that they believe they're misleading. Well, I'm assuming, mm. I'm sorry, I don't have the detail, but I'm assuming that they're suggesting that there's a, there's a misleading of consumers about the limited availability of tickets and they create the perception of scarcity and there's lots of case law to yeah. show that that's been mm-hmm. the case. And uh, indeed, it's been looked at very closely here. The laws have been introduced in the UK. Uh, there was a, a court case which put a, a ruling on Viagogo. They're now being taken for being in breach of that court ruling. There's problems right across Europe, as you say. It extends past that, though. There's been legislation introduced in New Zealand and in Australia as a a result of this. And the tactics that they use, as you say, Dermot, are most questionable, to say the least, because you go on to buy a ticket and you might see that there's four tickets left and you have ten minutes to buy them and then you have to do X, Y and Z and make a cup of tea in between. Uh, And by the time you get to the end of the ten minutes, uh, you have just about the time to buy the tickets you think it's 80 euro but when they add on the cost of postage and VAT and uh, fees transaction fees and so on before you know it you're paying maybe double that or treble that as we've heard so often from people uh, and then the tickets don't arrive or they have somebody else's name on them or you get there and somebody else is in your seat and there's all these sorts of problems it is unbelievable beyond belief and this is why Google has now said people don't trust it and that it's in breach of its advertising policy and that they have to uh, facilitate uh, sites like this if people trust them and only if people trust them. This is the the point Um, and and as you say they've been able to manipulate their their market whereby they, they they, they purchase Google AdWords, etc., which puts them the very first point that, that comes up when mm. you look for a ticket. Um, and again, if, if you go to their website as an average consumer and you're trying to find out what this is going to cost you, it is next to impossible because they don't quote any specific prices. They say they're, you know, depending on the price mm. of the ticket, which makes sense when you mm. think about it, um, the charge will be different. And that's because they charge a percentage. Mm. So on average, Let's say a ticket is a hundred euro, um, the seller will, will be paying fifteen percent of what is the total ticket price. So in other words, if there's four tickets or two tickets, it's fifteen percent of that, and the buyer is paying an average of thirty percent on the, top of that. And the kindest way I can put it is that they create an illusion. Uh, I can think of some other words to describe it, but they create an illusion. So you're told there's four tickets left and you have 10 minutes to buy them, you go and you buy the four tickets, but if you go back an hour later or two yeah. days later, there'll be, there'll be four tickets left. And you oh, buy yeah. those, and you go back another couple of days later, there'll be four tickets. There's always four tickets left, or, or 20 or 40 tickets left, or whatever it is. No, you're entirely right. Mm. And, and again, in, in case listeners think that you and I are over-egging mm. this, to explain, I, I mentioned a case in Denmark, mm. um, the Swiss Consumer Association has taken a case against Viagogo um, it, with the cooperation of FIFA, it might be added. Mm. In, in, in France, um, the, the, the government there took a case to stop them selling tickets for Roland Garros, the tennis tournament. In Italy, which is really important, um, the Competition and Consumer Authority there in 2017 and in 2018 took two cases. And the first case 
gained a €300,000 fine, the second case a fine of €1 euro, and they still keep advertising and using these practices in every other country until they're challenged to the nth degree. And that's why it's important that this has happened for Ireland, because they have a .ie mm. website, which means there are terms and conditions that they're going to have to apply for. But it also puts pressure, and I'm delighted, it seriously puts pressure on our government to finally enact the ticket-touting law um, and ban the, 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 the say, because that's how we saw the back of seed mm. wave. Great to see it go. Yeah. And that's what we need to see in Ireland. Because in it, is, it, it, it is effectively touting, isn't it? In that it you're buying somebody else's ticket. You're not buying it uh, from uh, the main uh, seller, uh, the, the, the official uh, uh, outlet. outlet. Yeah, you're entirely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, just mm. so it's understood, mm. if, if you look at the, the wording and the phrasing mm. they use, you know, we, we don't buy or sell tickets. We just facilitate people to do it. Of course they mm. buy and sell tickets. That's the problem. They're facilitating touting. And most importantly, they turn a blind eye entirely mm. to what are outrageous profiteering. Um, why? Because they're taking 15 and 30%. And it's a, um, a company that's worth billions. It has plenty of money to spend on advertising. And Google is turning down that money now. And I think that probably says it all. It does. It says okay. it all. And mm. it's great to see, if you like, organisations of that strength um, helping to look at a situation that just plainly and simply is wrong. Okay, well as I said at the outset undoubtedly people have bought tickets on Viagogo and they've been very happy, but if you are buying tickets and you're on a Viagogo site, uh, well you've heard I suppose some reason for being cautious on the programme this morning. Dermot, thank you indeed for joining us again. Pleasure, Michael. Dermot Jewell, Policy and Council Advisor with uh, the Consumers Association of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Government agencies using uh, the public service card are not convinced it's useful. This is according to the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. The ICCL, meanwhile, says the card may be illegal. Let's talk about uh, this with Elizabeth Farries, who's uh, the Information Rights Programme Manager with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. A very good morning to you, Elizabeth, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Just begin at the beginning, if you wouldn't mind, uh, and uh, tell us what the public service card is, first of all. Oh, thanks very much, Michael. Uh, The public services card is a biometric identity system that people are required to submit to in order to access um, essential services to which they're already required So in Ireland, if you need access to various forms of social welfare payments, you need to have this card first. Mm. And there was a a lot of concern about that and that it was a way of introducing a national identity card. Yeah, we've certainly heard that complaint repeatedly, and it certainly has characteristics that are reflective of a national identity card. And even more concerning is that there's this biometric component. People are required to submit a facial image, and sort of an algorithmic analysis of that facial image, which is put in a centralized database with the government. Right. I just think that's such an invasion of personal, one's personal privacy. They should not be required to trade over such details to services that they're already legally entitled to. It's just a rollout and a creeping mechanism of what's been referred to as the digital welfare state. And it's just too much. It, it, it goes too far. Services that we're legally entitled to in a, a state where we're not obligated to have a, a national identity card, and there's always been a lot of resistance to that. We'll come back to that in a, a minute. But what about the agencies uh, that are, are using these cards? You've surveyed 164 government agencies, but you only heard back from 42. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. And so the reason for the survey is that there's just a real lack of information to the public about the operation of the public services card. People all across across Ireland contact us to find out how their data is going to be used if they get a public services card or whether they can use other forms of ID for certain services. And they're just coming up against these huge obstacles trying to find even the simplest amount of information. So that's why we decided to conduct the survey of the bodies allowed to use it to find out what's going on. And as you mentioned, the results of the survey, um, you know, aren't great. We came up against the same lack of clarity and in some cases complete ignorance about the public services card system. Uh, and there's been a lot of confusion. Uh, uh, you've been speaking to the public and people are very confused and understandably so. Uh, I mean, I think there was talk at one time at least that you would need a public services card in order to get a, a passport. But a passport is quite often used as a form of identica- identification, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a circular process, isn't it? And we're hearing complaints for the public about that as well. People that want to get the public ser- or want to get a passport now need to have a public services card. And they're also getting inconsistent information about that. In some instances, they're told, actually, no, don't worry, you don't need the public services card, only to follow up to be told, actually, no, we are going to need to get that public services card from you. So across local authorities, different authorities are giving different answers. And indeed, even from within the same agencies, there's contradictory responses about the need for the card. Yeah, some of the agencies you spoke to said uh, that they're using it and that it's a benefit to them. And then when you went back to them, you got a different response. Yeah, that's the case. And we just want to really be clear that we're not pointing fingers at the agencies. We're finding it's very challenging, if not impossible, to have a consistent, clear or coherent approach when the government itself doesn't appear to have one. There's a complete lack of clear information in the legislation itself, which the government purports as the basis for the PSC. The, the legislation has been annotated so many times that even lawyers have difficulty making sense of it. Members of the Oireachtas have asked parliamentary questions, and they haven't received clear or conclusive answers. And then we have the Data Protection Commissioner, which for the last two years has been carrying out an investigation as to whether the scheme is legal at all. Mm. And we still don't have answers um, from the DPC. And indeed, it's not clear that we will ever be able to see um, the DPC's final report on that. And and I'm trying to uh, remember the detail exactly, but there was a a bizarre situation with uh, the minister with responsibility for introducing this, Regina Doherty, who said, no, you are are not obliged to have one of these cards, but you need them if you want to get your pension or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. the the mandatory versus compulsory uh, term. I mean, as far as I'm aware, those terms mean the same thing. Mandatory can mean a basis in law. Either way, you need to have uh, the PSC because you need to submit to the Safe2 registration, which verifies your identity to a biometric level. Now, you, you, I'm sorry, you, you, you mentioned what happens to your data. We have a, a data protection commissioner and you've mentioned the commissioner, Helen Dixon, in your press release uh, and uh, you've uh, said that she's been speaking very negatively about this outside of the jurisdiction, though. Yeah, I mean, we have that excellent report um, of her speaking in Israel, where I think she expresses what could be construed as a lack of faith in the the government to act in a way that is mature with respect to very important um, data protection matters. And the government has repeatedly said, repeatedly denied that there is a biometric component to this public services card. And we got those comments in Israel where the Data Protection Commissioner clearly doesn't agree. She said that the department stores, quote, a centralized biometric template database in relation to the card. Is this concerning. Is this a question of having an honest debate or is it a, a question of principle that you're just uh, opposed to this 
outright or that if the government wants to introduce a national identity card, they should say that, make the case uh, and win public support for it? Okay, so there are the questions, the principled questions of whether or not our biometric data should be used in the first instance in an administrative scheme like the public services card. We would say no. We would say certain policing institutions aren't allowed to create biometric databases, so why would we do it on an administrative level? So yes, on, in principle, we're opposed to the card. But it's very difficult to have conversations with the government about those principles and about those larger points of EU law when they're not being clear and they're not being forthcoming and okay. there's a lot of confusion. Uh, uh, and like uh, ultimately the public deserves to know. They need to know well, that's what I mean about it being whether a, it's fair. Uh, and that's what I mean about it being an honest debate or, or, or not. Uh, and I suppose you know what the next question is, which is if you're opposed to it in principle, why so? Because people shouldn't have anything to be afraid of unless they're gangsters. Uh, well, I mean, we, we hear that from authoritarian governments that are very happy to take away liberties that we're all entitled to. We all have basic rights. We're entitled to privacy, we're entitled to freedom of expression, and we're entitled to resist certain cards that step on those rights. And this is certainly a case with the public services card. It doesn't matter if you're a law-abiding citizen. You don't want someone in your private sphere. You have certain liberties, and the public services card goes too far in that regard. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Great. Elizabeth Farries, Information Rights Programme Manager with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Can you hear me? Yes, you're on a different microphone. Okay, go ahead. I'm just trying to confuse Mm. you today. (laughs) Um, But lots of reaction to this uh, charge, Michael, for excessive water use. Bob from Kilmainham, it's a bit like deja vu, has been in touch and he says he lives in the country and has to pump water from a well. This costs a lot of money for the pump and the tank. He would gladly pay water charges. He says that it's expensive to clean water and remember that the majority of the people paid water charges. It's only a small amount of people who didn't want to pay, Mm. says Bob. Okay, everybody got their money back though, didn't they? They did. Pat says uh, HSE changes and water charges are back on the agenda, Michael. And all of this is happening when the doll has closed down for the long holiday period. Is anybody really worrying about Brexit or any, any of those other issues I've mentioned? You'd wonder how does the country survive? How could it survive without any of our elected TDs all year round? Mm, okay. <laughs> Michael says, Margaret, yep. when there's a mention of any new charge at all, people naturally feel a bit wary. In theory, it does sound sensible that those who willfully waste water are made to pay for that. Mm. But in practice, we'll have to see if people are being given enough of an allowance before they start being charged. It's all very well to talk about amends, but until you actually see it in play, will you really know? For example, Margaret wants to know, will you still be able to have a bath without Mm. being penalised? Yeah. Well, yes, I think is the simple answer. The concern that people have is not, will you be able to have a, a bath? But will that be the same situation in a year, five years mm. or ten mm. years from now? Or will the allowances continue to decrease to such an extent that everybody ends up paying? 
Tom says people in this country moan about everything. I'm still amazed at the amount of people I see using hoses in their garden without any thought. They'd have them on and they'd be pottering around and they wouldn't think twice about it. People need to be more appreciative of our water and the service that's provided. Okay, I suppose people everywhere moan from time to time, not just in this country. There's been uh, a lot of moaning in America, as you know, following on from what have been described as racist comments by Donald Trump about four democratic women and been pretty remarkable in the last 24 hours at the latest Trump rally and the chant that we heard yes. from the crowd send her back and I think we all know what that reminded us of mm. uh, let's hear what happened now and uh, that recording of the Trump rally Not mention Apologies, it seems as though our files got mixed up somewhat there. That wasn't actually a Donald Trump rally. That was Adolf Hitler speaking to Nazis at a rally in the 1930s. But uh, there was some similarities, as perhaps we'll hear now, because I think we can actually hear from the Trump rally this time round. Representative Ilhan Omar... of a really great state. I almost won the first time in decades and decades, Minnesota. Great state. He goes home now to mommy and he gets reprimanded and that's the end. Sorry, mommy. Sorry, Mom. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti- Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Anti-Semitic screeds. Not everybody in America is of the same mind as Donald Trump or his supporters. And instead of a chance of send her back, there was a very warm welcome home for Elan Omar when she returned to Minnesota. Really great to be home. Elan Oman has been giving a very strong reaction to President Trump's racist comments to reporters. I want to make sure that every single person who is in this country, who's aspiring um, to become part of the American fabric, uh, understands that nothing this president says should be taken apart. We are Americans as much as everyone else. This is our country. And we are where we belong. And I told people on my election night in the great state of Minnesota, we don't just welcome refugees, we send them to represent us in Washington. And as much as he's spewing his fascist ideology on stage, telling you as citizens to go back because they don't agree with his detrimental policies for our country, we tell people that here in the United States, dissent is patriotic. Here in the United States, disagreement is welcome, debate is welcomed, and especially in the People's House, all of our voices are uplifted and heard, and we see her, we see me, we see her, we see everyone in this country, and they are not only my neighbors, my friends, my sisters and brothers, They are also my constituents and they're my fellow citizens. And this American, uh, this president does not speak for them. Um, And we are going to make sure that we get a president that they could be proud of. Such a a different perspective there than that of President Donald Trump. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. We began talking about this when our files got mixed up and unfortunately we heard from Adolf Hitler rather than Donald Trump. But how mixed up were we? Let's combine the two and hear if they're similar in terms of their approach and the reaction that they've been receiving. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Well, you 
go. The contrasting uh, voices of America and indeed uh, the contrasting voices of world leaders in America today and in Germany in the 1930s. The similarities, Michael. The Indeed. similarities there mm-hmm. just give me shudders. I have to. I have to say. Okay. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later we on will, as well. We yeah. will. Okay. Going mm-hmm. back to water, Paul from County Mead wants to let politicians know that the water protesters have not gone away; that they're still here, and they'll take to the streets again if needed. That they do not want this charge brought in for excessive mm. use. And Paul says he's very surprised at the Fianna Fáil stance on this and Fianna Fáil needs to come out and explain themselves. Mm. Okay, well, uh, I think the charges are on the way uh, for 80,000 households, uh, which is nothing in comparison to the 1.6 mm. million households that there are in the country. So very few people will pay, very few people will notice, very few people will care. There is little chance there will be any protest. And in time, there is the chance, I suppose, that more people will pay uh, and it'll happen so slowly that we'll all be paying before we know it. Oh, God. Mm. Right, just two quick comments on the public services card. Elizabeth phoned in to say that she was called for a public services card, didn't really think much about it, Mm. went and got one, hasn't used it since, has never been asked for it, not really sure what the reason for it is. Deirdre says that she thought it was a good idea when she got one, but that she's brought it some places to be used as ID and it was never accepted that she had oh, to bring her passport. Okay. All right. So okay. there Very you good. go. All right. Thanks for that, Deirdre. Thanks, uh, Marie. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Marie and Maggie are taking calls now and our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Northern Ireland is without uh, an executive, as you know, uh, but as a, a result of that, uh, people of uh, the same sex will be able to get married from uh, the 21st of October onwards. That is, if Stormont is not up and running, and if that is the case by the 13th of January, it means uh, that same-sex marriage uh, will actually be put into place uh, and available to people at that stage. Abortion will also be made uh, available under uh, these laws uh, that will be introduced in the absence of an executive uh, from Parliament in Westminster. So let's uh, talk about uh, this with Lisa O'Hare, media liaison officer with Human Life International. And uh, a very good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us, Lisa. You're somewhat concerned about this. Hello, Michael. Yes, and good morning to all your listeners. Um, yes, we're, we're absolutely concerned. These are immoral laws by an absolute immoral process against the will of the people of Northern Ireland. The British government will impose these laws and it's outrageous on every level. Uh, but uh, why is it outrageous uh, if uh, Westminster is, uh, to all intents and purposes, uh, the government of Northern Ireland? Well, this is a, there, no democratically elected MPs have voted for this. This is against the will of the Irish people. And the point that HLI, Human Life International, are making is that these two issues are against, they're against God, and they're, they're against his people, and they're against God's plan for, our, for marriage and for life. And that um, that for a, a British government to impose laws against the Irish people is it, quite unbelievable. And the fact that that, that, that this is not made more of uh, shows the diabolical nature of these proposals. The fact that the British government will impose laws, their laws, upon Irish people 
um, only taking advantage of um, the, the assembly not, not sitting. But they have, they have absolutely no right to do this. They have no democratic uh, mandate to do this. And, and we're absolutely opposed to it in every, uh, on every level. But I suppose you could argue that the people of Northern Ireland or uh, the political parties uh, that represented them, represent them, or actually represented them, that was a, a Freudian slip, uh, but the parties that did represent them have given up that right. Uh, sorry, how do you mean that? We've given up the right to govern our own people? Absolutely, yes. Well, there is no government. There is no government, but there is no mandate to change such absolutely fundamental laws that are at the very heart of our society. But we have there are twenty thousand people have signed a letter from Baroness alone to the to the British Prime Minister to say that this this is not you know this is not this should be opposed by by any democratically any you know democracy and even people in the peers and the Lord the House of Lords. Have said that this is unconstitutional, mm. but it, but, it, but it is democratic, is it not? I mean, the people of Northern Ireland voted uh, to stay in the European Union, uh, and you'll be leaving as members of the United Kingdom. Uh, abortion, same-sex marriage are legally permissible in the United Kingdom, as indeed they are in the Republic. Uh, so, why is it not democratic? Well, these laws are are, are legal in the United Kingdom and in, in Britain, but they're not they're not legal in Northern Ireland. We have MPs who, who we have, you know, that we have elected to govern our nation, and this is this is an um, attack mm. on on our democracy in the sense that that, that no setting. Well, surely it's a much bigger MPs. attack on your democracy uh, that you're being dragged out of the European Union. Well, that that's a completely separate issue. We have we have elected our MPs to represent to represent us. It is a completely separate issue, but the politics is the same in that the will of the people is being ignored. The will of the people has been ignored. So, the, the, in terms the, of Brexit, yeah, no. The emphasis, the emphasis here is that that, that we are trying to get um, the assembly mm. back engaged. So this is uh, this is this has absolutely nothing to do with. Well, the, the assembly. assembly. The, the, well, it does. It actually has quite a, a lot to do with the politics of Northern Ireland because the will of the people is being ignored in terms of Brexit. If they introduce same-sex marriage and abortion to Northern Ireland in the absence of an executive, it could be that Westminster is heeding the will of the people of Northern Ireland because it would seem that a lot of people in Northern Ireland want same-sex marriage and they want abortion to be available. And on what basis do you think that the people of Northern Ireland want abortion to be available? Well, it's only the DUP who that opposes, isn't it? Absolutely not. The DUP have made that very clear, but there are very, very many people across Northern Ireland who have consistently opposed abortion in Northern Ireland. Consistently. And this, you know, so, so for the British government to, to come in here and to legislate for this um, is, is outrageous. It's outside the terms mm. of, of this discussion. It's an, it was an opportune moment for two British MPs who are not elected by the people of Northern Ireland um, to force this ultimatum on the people of Northern Ireland. And it's now given... Um, but there's no other political party in Northern Ireland that opposes either, is there? And, and, and so the hurry to impose this law as opposed to, um, as opposed to mm. sorting out our education system and our health system, this is an, this is an outright grab. On, on, on power and on, on an opportune moment for people to impose well, 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 immoral I, I laws. I think the argument is... Immoral uh, laws, the British laws, which are against the sanctity mm. of life and against the, the nature of marriage between a husband well, and well, wife. Well, the, 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 the argument against that is that it's recognising international human rights uh, and that it's implementing the will 
of, let's say, all of the Catholics in Northern Ireland because uh, their political representatives want it to happen. Indeed, many Protestants are, are represented by politicians they voted for who want it to happen. It's only Conservative Protestants represented by the DUP who don't want it to happen. Uh, well, I, I can tell you uh, assuredly that I'm not a Conservative Protestant. There are very many people, uh, very many Catholics in this country who believe in God as the author of life. Believe well, their political representatives it is not might believe in God. Human right. It is not a human right to take the life of a child. God is the author of life. And we have no right to take the, the life of an unborn, innocent child. For the British government to sanction the killing of unborn Irish children is absolutely outrageous. It would seem that the only way that you're going to achieve that objective of prohibiting abortion and same-sex marriage is by electing the DUP. Well, that, that's a very interesting point. Who do Catholics, who do Catholics have to represent them? Because Sinn Féin has clearly abandoned, abandoned their electorate in terms of they are insistent, or we're, that's the question that we're asking, are they abandoning their own traditions of self-determination? Mm. In order well, to well, if they had, their electorate would have abandoned the them, but the SELP would have a similar view, would they not? Pardon? The SELP would have a similar view on these issues, would they not? This is, this is one of the crux matters that we have, is that who are representing Catholics in this country, um, in Northern Ireland, who place God as the author of life, who place marriage as the centre of, of society as as um, the unique union between hmm. a man and a woman and to bring forth children. Well, you could you could say you could you, you could say the same the world over. I mean, if you take the likes of the Republic of Ireland, where the vast majority of people would regard themselves as being Catholic, and the vast majority of people voted in favour of both of these issues. Well, the Church teaches. The Church is quite clear that she teaches that the procreative act is exclusively between a husband and wife. Yeah, so that's and up to people to listen to that and to behave that way themselves if they want, but it's not the right, it's not in the gift of anybody to tell other people how to behave. Well, we, we all have a duty to, to the most innocent and vulnerable in our society. We must have a society that's based on truth. The truth is that the marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, not here it's not. There's lots of men who are married to men in uh, the Republic, lots of women who are married to women in the Republic, and they're living very happy. The sky hasn't fallen in. It depends, what you, it, de- it depends on how you define the sky falling in. The fruit, the fruit of, of, of engaging in a sexual act outside of marriage is abortion. The fruit of that, um, uh, the, the misuse of God's beautiful plan, the beautiful plan that he has between a man and a woman... And the, the That's not right. The fruit beautiful of... gift of children is that uh, the outcome, the fruit of that, the abhorrent fruit, is that people are are, are engaging in a sexual act without the, any intention of children. And the fruit is that we that on the intentional killing of the unborn, and we've seen that in the south. That's and not the true. In the north. That's people in the north. Christians in the north are not prepared. There's many single people who are many single people who are uh, planning families who have children who bring those children up happy. There's many married people uh, who uh, either plan families uh, and were concerned about issues such as fatal fetal abnormalities, or didn't plan families uh, and are deciding to terminate pregnancies. We are as human life internationals, Michael. We're here to to try to um, explain and to proclaim the beauty of God's plan. And that's why we've asked you on today, and uh, I'm here to counter those arguments. Thank you for asking us on and and giving us the opportunity Mm. to to share with your listeners that that God has this beautiful plan between a man and a woman for marriage and for, for children to be brought into this world. If we go against God's plan, 
we, we are heading on a road to destruction. If we base our society on a lie, to say that the union between a man and a woman of marriage is similar to uh, a, between the acts of two men or two women, mm. is, is basing your full society on a lie. Children come into this world as the fruit of the intimate act between a husband and a wife. That is part of God's plan. If we turn our back on God, if we reject Jesus Christ, and as you say, many people um, would consider themselves as Catholics. And I ask them when they say their creed every Sunday, they are proclaiming that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are doing anything other than, than following his plan, you are rejecting Jesus. You are rejecting the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ on, on, in, this, in your own life and on the earth. And to do that, you, are, you, are, you, will not, um, you will not be able to claim the joy and the peace that comes with mm. being a follower of Christ and following his plan. We have seen have you anybody to make that argument to in Northern Ireland at the moment that can affect change? Michael, that is just, that's a brilliant point. That's exactly what Human Life International are trying to call for. Who are representing Catholics in the north of Ireland? The DUP are represent are uh, thankfully at least fighting for um, against abortion and against um, the redefinition of mm. marriage. Who do Catholics? Well, they're not. They're we, not. They're not. Uh, I, I we, mean, we if they have, were, we they'd be no in one, government. We have no one to represent us. Sinn Féin have clearly abandoned God's principles. They have abandoned their own principles of self determination because they're quite happy for the for the British government to impose a law. I mean, in my, I, I, I'm, you can tell from my accent that I'm from the North. Mm-hmm. The Catholics in the North uh, and Sinn Féin in, in their day would have opposed the British government uh, imposing the laws of tiddlywinks on, on the people of Northern Ireland, let alone such a well, fundamental may, matter may, of the life. Maybe so, but it's, it's not just Sinn Féin or the SELP or any of the other parties. I mean, people have voted for the DUP uh, and they've done so on issues such as abortion and uh, marriage equality or same-sex marriage or whatever way you want to put it. Uh, and uh, the DUP uh, is not in office uh, are not able to represent people in the way that they've been elected and at the same time and the big irony of it all is that they claim to be running Northern Ireland from Westminster. No, so the incentive is the incentive is to get all the parties together back into into Stormont and to, 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 to govern this country as they have been elected to. For the British government to use a moment, an opportune moment, to try and impose such absolutely fundamental laws on our people without the democratic mandate to do so is absolutely outrageous and anyone's in anyone's book it's outrageous and particularly from as i said a national a nationalist or a catholic mm. um background in the north for us to be told that british mps are going to impose a law which will end up in the death of our unborn irish children and which will uh, which will completely redefine society by by redefining mm. marriage to tell me as, as an irish catholic a north from the north that the British government have the, are, are going to impose this absolutely goes against my core and it should go against the core of every Irish Catholic well, it, uh, it, it, it We may, need to make our voices heard. You're right. We need to make our voices heard. It may we focus have, the minds of every Catholic, every Protestant, every Nationalist, every Unionist uh, and therein I think lies one of uh, the biggest ironies in recent times in that there is so many things to be concerned about in Northern Ireland and uh, because of the lack of governance, Brexit,
uh, and what that might mean uh, in terms of people's lives in the future and indeed the return of a hard border and what that might mean in terms of the peace process and how important it is to get those institutions up and running for these reasons but it is these reasons that might actually result in those minds being focused to the degree that it'll happen. Well, we, we, we have to get together. We have to get together to form a, a government. But in the meantime, we cannot have the British government imposing absolutely immoral laws on our people. They have no mandate to do so. It is against, I mean, anyone will tell you that it's against the terms of the bill that was put forward. Okay. And it's, it's outrageous that they would deem to do so. It's outrageous that, that Sinn Féin would stand by and allow this to happen. Um, it shows that they are not willing to go to the people for, you know, for, for Sinn Féin and the DEP to get back into government to sort out um, key issues re- regarding our society, but for these moral issues to be brought up and imposed by the British government is, is outrageous. Okay. Uh, we, uh, we as, as Catholics and as Christians, and you'll see mm. from um, the cross the cross community support for the likes of Nuda alone and her and her letter mm. to um, the British MP. There's over twenty thousand people across the board have signed this. You know th- this can't be allowed to happen, and anyone with any nationalist streak should be opposed. To, to the British government um, imposing their laws upon us, particularly okay. ones which are so against our, our culture and against our God. As Catholics in, in, in Ireland, we have done so much to fight for the faith of our country, of our, our fathers, and for the British government to walk all over us it will not be stood for. All right, Lisa. Very interesting, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, thanks for talking to us. Uh, and uh, Thank Thanks you very for taking the time Michael. to be with us. Lisa O'Hare, media liaison officer with Human Life International. Michael Reed on LMFM. There's a, a lot of reasons for wanting uh, to restore the institutions in Northern Ireland, and let's uh, talk uh, about this and uh, the related issues with Lita Clancy, spokesperson for the Mead Peace Group. Good morning to you, Lita, and thanks uh, for joining us. I don't think there's any corner in the world that has been without a government as long as Northern Ireland uh, since uh, Stormont collapsed in January of 2017. It means there's been no functioning government no assembly, no executive for two and a half years. Uh, and it does seem somewhat ironic that minds might be focused at the idea of introducing same-sex marriage and abortion at this stage. Yeah, um, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the slow pace now. Of the, I mean, they, obviously they got back into talks. Sadly, it really was the, 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 the killing of Lerna McKee that led to this new round of talks. And I'm not sure about progress. I know they're supposed to be in their second phase, but we're not hearing much. And obviously there is a huge um, need to get Storm and to get the executive and the assembly up and running, particularly, as you said, it's been out now for over two years, two and a half years, and in a, a, a kind of a strange situation where we have this Brexit crisis running through the whole matter that's going to affect the people of Northern Ireland and the people of all over this island as well as the UK. And I suppose uh, you could describe these as bread and butter issues. Uh, I mean, they're very important, significant issues uh, to anybody who's living in uh, the six counties of Northern Ireland as to whether abortion uh, is uh, available or people can marry each other. Uh, the same with planning permission. Uh, and we've seen planning collapse, uh, not just uh, for incinerating 
generators, but also for the north-south interconnector, the uh, electricity uh, project uh, that runs north and south of uh, this island. Uh, And uh, we've seen many issues uh, such as the victims of child abuse not being able to get the compensation that they're due that are hugely important. But what is at risk and what is the greatest risk of all is the peace process on this Mm. island. Yeah, I mean, that, that's correct. And I mean, there are so many outstanding issues and so much delay. I mean, I hear it from friends in Northern Ireland about frustrations with things not getting done. I know some politicians said a few months ago, oh, they don't really want them back. But I think the people of Northern Ireland have shown quite clearly they do. And they've shown their frustration in the recent elections with the main parties involved in that, that are the hold up here, that are the stumbling block block. Uh, so, I mean, it is, it, it, you would wring your hands really and hope that the talks that are resuming will be constructive and that they aren't shutting down for the whole summer because that would be a disgrace too. Um, now, this Northern Ireland bill, while I don't want to get into mm. the issues of abortion mm. and same-sex marriage, my own personal preference would be for a referendum in Northern Ireland on those issues. Um, I can see the point of the devolution. It is really constitutional mm. versus... Uh, and and rights issues coming into clash with the devolution and the UK um, uh, and uh, status of Northern Ireland. And the the politics is very interesting in Northern Ireland uh, apart from the merits of the arguments for or against abortion or same-sex marriage. The politics surrounding this, very interesting, is that they're both stumbling blocks in the two main parties coming to an agreement. Sinn Féin is saying it's insisting on abortion and it's insisting on same-sex marriage. The DUP is saying, no, they can never agree to that. The DUP uh, is in this confidence and supply agreement with the Tories, and uh, because there's no government in Northern Ireland, they're kind of running Northern Ireland, but it's the same government that's going to introduce these matters, which is a stumbling block from their point of view. Yeah, and I mean, that, that issue, you, you, you summarised them very well. Obviously, there's also the Irish language issue, but the I mean, the whole issue of the DUP supporting um, the government, the minority government in the UK, I mean, that has been a major factor in this whole Brexit debate. And the fact that whatever, I mean, the DUP have a right to be there, obviously, that's they, they chose to be this, to support them. But the fact is that they're not, by doing that, representing the majority of the people in Northern Ireland who are very concerned about Brexit mm. and who wouldn't have the same position and who did make a compromise. And a lot of the business and agricultural community who might have preferred to remain entirely in the European and the single market did accept the compromise and the withdrawal agreement, which generally is a good thing for Northern Ireland. So there is this kind of distortion of politics where Sinn Féin refused to take their seats and, you know, that is their right, but they did go up for Westminster and now there is no place for nationalist MPs. And you could make a little parallel here, Michael, Mm. in relation to 1920 when there was no um, Sinn Féin MPs sitting in Westminster who could have probably made an effect on partition because that's when partition came in. And there was no nationalist votes on that. The, the Irish Parliamentary Party, realising they were just so small now, didn't take part. And Sinn Féin were not there. Now, I know they were there in Doyle Aaron and we all welcomed the, the, the new Doyle Aaron. But that is one of the, the, the sort of um, ironies of the whole thing. And mm-hmm. Sinn Féin are not there in Westminster and their seven votes could have made a voice, could have made a matter. It could at least have articulated mm. the needs of the people of Northern Ireland it, it and balanced have. them against... 
unrepresentative in my view because obviously mm. the DUP do represent their own constituencies but they're not representing the majority of the Absolutely. people and that is the dilemma as you said mm-hmm. they're and supporting I, I think a they're, government that is now going over their heads yeah. I, I, I think that is a good argument Yulita, but I think there's also a good argument that uh, had they taken their seats in Westminster it could have been counterproductive because there would have been so much resistance to anything that Sinn Féin supported in Westminster that may, that may be so. I, I mean, I think that some of them could certainly have made a good voice in terms of that. Yes, of course, but um, I think all the same, they are MPs and they could have made, uh, articulated a voice there, a voice of dissent that was very badly needed because even if they were to speak in a moderate way, articulating the concerns of the agricultural and business community, and I'm saying this, mainly because of the absence of Stormont. I mean, if Stormont were there, I wouldn't be making the argument so much. But there is no Stormont, and the people at the, at the, in the problem with this are the DUP and Sinn Féin that are having the stumbling block. They're the leading parties, and because of the St. Andrew's Agreement, that's what we've been left with. It wasn't the, the Good Friday Agreement that set up the, the situation we have now. It was the St. Andrew's Agreement, which was, it did obviously lead to a power-sharing government for a number of years, mm-hmm. but it's had within it the seeds of what is happening now. And, and speak, to um, us, speak to us, Yulita, about peace or how fragile peace might be at the moment, uh, because there's a, a lot of concern uh, that if Brexit goes ahead, in particular if there's a, a no-deal Brexit and the return to a, a border, that the peace process is fragile. But if it is fragile, how fragile is it? Uh, I think a lot of people were very concerned uh, at what was happening in uh, the north around the 12th this year and uh, the threat of uh, contractors being shot if they remove pallets and that kind of thing. It's a long time since we've heard language like that. Look, look I mean, I know and we have had relative sort of harmony and peace in some ways. Obviously, there have been still ongoing disputes about parades, but they were being managed. And this year has shown worrying signs. And you know yourself, Mike, how quickly those type of flash incidents can turn into something far more that reach out from Belfast and other areas into small Catholic communities, particularly in other parts of Northern Ireland. Mm. And on the other side, you had the, the Republican dissidents arming themselves and doing a whole lot of stuff back there and leading to the killing of, of Lara McKee. And that is there. Those sides are there. And you have a vacuum. And whenever there's a vacuum, the only good thing that has come out in the last few months has been the electorate sort of, um, you know, realising that they need to also change things there. And so you have quite uh, surprises in the local elections and in the European elections. Mm-hmm. But also one of the dilemmas that I've had now and our group has had in the last while is that, you know, unionist friends who might have voted Remain, but who feel now that because the majority of the people in the United Kingdom voted to leave, they feel honour bound to follow that and Mm -hmm. to, to support that. And that to me is, it's where this division line is coming down again. Um, and it's so worrying yeah. and so destabilising. Now, there are talks... I know, but that kind of goes back to the conversation I was having previously, which was, well, they can't tell us to introduce same-sex marriage and abortion. Uh, and the argument that I was putting up was that if they can't tell you that, well, then surely it follows that they can't tell you to leave the European Union either. Yeah, well, that, that's what the point mm. I'm making, that yeah. it's, mm. you've got this now clash between mm. UK devolution and the rights and constitutional issues. And the rights of the people of Northern Ireland to have European citizenship with all the rights that that involves 
I can't see how that can be taken away given the Good Friday Agreement, which was an international treaty. That is a huge dilemma, and I know that our own government has been fighting to 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 work for those, mm. but it should be also the British government. And to give Theresa May some due, she did try and support the Good Friday Agreement for all the the support she got within her own party that wasn't there. But the, the DUP had, I think, I, it's true to say, never really supported the Good Friday Agreement anyway. Okay. It's, so we're in this dilemma. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a constitutional issue and it, it is a ser- very, very serious issue. Now, in mm. December, we may get some sort of an initiative. It may take till that with Brexit and with the yeah. new Prime Minister. Well, that's it. Prime I was Minister just going to say, you'd wonder what the new Prime Minister knows uh, about the Good Friday Agreement and how yeah. much uh, important uh, they would attach to it uh, but we'll probably find out next week uh, when either Jeremy Hunt or Boris Johnson will become the leader of uh, the Conservative Party and I think it'll be a very interesting and busy week ahead of us. Uh, perhaps uh, you'll uh, find some time to come back to us uh, then, Yulita. Yes, indeed, and there could well be an election too in September <laughs> for all we know. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Yulita, thank you very much indeed. Yulita Clancy, spokesperson for the Mead Peace Group. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's just remind ourselves of that bloke that Ilhan Omar described as a fascist. Omar, not mentioned, has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Contrasting sounds of uh, Germany in the late 30s and uh, the United States in uh, the year 2019. Let's talk about uh, this with Richard Boyd Barrett. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Richard is a People Before Profit TD for Dunleary Wrath Down. Are are we being unfair or is it right uh, to suggest that we were listening uh, to fascists in Germany of the 1930s and fascists in America today there? Well, I <clears throat> I certainly think Trump is playing around with fascist policies and tactics. Uh, I don't think we're quite back at the 1930s yet. Uh, Hitler obviously had paramilitary street gangs, was using extreme violence to crush all dissent. I don't think mm. Trump is quite at that level yet. But I wasn't actually you know, talking about Trump as such. I <clears throat> mean, there's things that could be said about Trump, but what about his supporters and the chanting? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt there are scary echoes of the politics of the 1930s at play. And what is very worrying is that Trump is deliberately doing this. He's cynically, deliberately whipping up hatred uh, against immigrants, against women, against ethnic minorities in order to build his political base and in this case try and get himself re-elected uh, to the White House and uh, it has very very dangerous uh, connotations both in the United States but also it is encouraging actual neo-Nazis and the far right all across Europe uh, I mean tragically this is not a situation that's unique to the United States the far right and openly neo-Nazi parties are gaining ground at a very alarming rate in many European countries. Uh, so, yeah, we should be very seriously worried about mm. it. Uh, and you will hear from people here who will tell you that, well, he's only saying what we're thinking and I wish we had politicians like that here. Uh, and that would remind uh, anybody uh, who was around in the 1930s of how unpopular the Jews were in Dublin at the time. 
Yeah, and there were anti-Semitic uh, programs uh, against the Jews in, at the beginning of the century, century, shamefully. In fact, it's probably the major reason James Joyce picked a Jewish character as a central character in Ulysses was as, among other things, um, uh, a tirade against anti-Semitism by certain nationalist leaders. Uh, but what I'd say to anybody who thinks, you know, this is a good agenda, Trump's agenda, the far-right agenda is a good agenda is that uh, ultimately what the tactics were about were about deflecting anger away from the real issues that concerned people uh, and trying to find scapegoats. So it didn't actually make life better for ordinary working people who are struggling mm. over housing or employment or poverty or inequality. The opposite happened. Uh, and uh, in fact, big business, the big corporations weighed in behind Hitler because they saw him as a battering ram against trade unionism, against left wing politics, uh, against the working class movement generally. And you can see very similar things with Trump. Tr let's not forget, Trump is a billionaire property speculator. Mm. Uh, that's what he is. Right. And he's using these uh, uh, nasty sort of tactics. To get this blue collar support. Of divide and rule, exactly. Mm. But 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 if you if you you know if you think about much of blue collar America, why are they in diffi difficulties at the moment? And it's precisely because a tiny number of multi billionaires have hoovered up all the wealth uh, in the United States, and there's a, a shocking gap between the rich and poor. And Trump is very much the beneficiary of that inequality. Uh, so of course it's in his interest mm. to deflect away from that fact. Uh, using racism as a tactic, but really ordinary people shouldn't buy into it because uh, it, it, it won't solve their problems, it'll do the opposite. Yeah, but uh, racism can only be successful as a, a tactic uh, if you're preaching to the converted. Doesn't this say an awful lot about the American people? And, and no, I don't, to be honest, think it says a huge amount. I mean, what it does say is that America is a very, very polarised, unequal society. Uh, I mean, there's masses of amounts of, of poverty I and mean, tens of millions of Americans living in poverty. OK, does it, say, does, it, does it say a lot about half of Americans? I, I think it says a lot about the way that the United States has never really dealt with the issue of race uh, well, right? I mean, there's a terrible history going right back to the Civil War of racism in the United States. Uh, they... The, the sort of, you know, ghettoization of communities, inequality generally. And of course, in that, against that background, yes, some people buy into a kind of race narrative. Uh, but, I, but I also think it's worth saying that there's also people looking in other directions. I mean, for the first time in the United States, the word socialism has started to become popular uh, with people like Bernie Sanders and uh, that senator who Trump was attacking, mm. uh, Cortez, uh, the young woman from New York. Mm. Um, but, but, but so what? I mean, Donald Trump might end up using the word and get the blue-collar vote. I mean, it's the blue-collar vote that he's getting. Uh, and, uh, I mean... Well, uh, sorry, Michael, I should, I should just pull you up slightly. When they did a, 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 a okay. proper study of Trump's vote versus... Hillary Clinton's yeah. vote. They mm. found that they actually both had about the same amount of blue-collar support, Okay, mm. had roughly the same amount of white-collar support, and had much the same kind of, you know, uh, uh, very rich people voting for them. Mm. So it's about 50-50, but it's not... It's mm. not a... Uh, 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 the, the, the support for Trump is not uh, overwhelmingly working class. He's certainly mm. won over sure. of some parts of the working class, but, but not... But he will get a second term, won't he? 
Well, he will, uh, unless there's a decent alternative. Mm. And, I mean, part of the reason Trump came to office in the first place mm. is because the Democrats failed to deliver on the hopes and aspirations yeah. that Obama had encouraged. Clinton was a, you know, clearly mm. compromised candidate. Uh, she was part of the establishment. Did People rightly did not believe she offered anything different. True. Uh, but, so, I, I mean, this goes back to my question about American culture and to the American mindset, uh, because uh, with scenes like what happened there, which are, are reminiscent of a, a Nazi rally, it's very difficult to think that he will be the next president of the United States. But it, it seems almost inevitable at this stage. I, I don't think it's inevitable, but certainly it's very possible and maybe more likely at this stage. Uh, but you know, we, we don't quite know who may emerge from the field of alternative candidates. Yeah. And I mean, I do think it's, it's worth remembering how well Bernie Sanders did. And he's mm. completely unexpected. And he came out on a radical socialist and left and progressive platform. And interestingly, he won in the, uh, in the primaries against Hillary Clinton. He won those blue-collar um, Rust Belt states, okay. the same states that yeah. uh, Trump Sweet. later went on yeah. to win. Okay, so, I'm, I'm out of time, Richard. I, I'm going to have to leave there. I'm sure we'll be back talking about this and related issues in the future. But thanks for highlighting this one with us this morning and for your time. Yeah. Richard Boyd Barrett, People Before Profit TD for Dunleary Rath Down, brings our programme to its conclusion this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme Monday morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.